Hey you, and welcome back to the RhizoCast with your host, Sue Hunt. You can find us at rhizomagazine.com or suehunt.com. All right, let's get right into this week's episode. This week on the RhizoCast, I have two exciting interviews, one of which I completed this morning, which is our guest today, and her name is Micah Callie, and you can find her at micacallie.com. She was our cover feature for Volume 1, Summer Solstice, and we featured her portal trine meditation tapestry, and it was really cool to chat with her. We actually met 17 years ago, which was kind of funny when I was doing that math in my head this morning, and you know, we've just stayed in touch and watched each other's lives grow over the last almost two decades. And I love her work and her symbolism and the spiritual frequencies that come from her work. And we dive into that in this podcast. Tomorrow, I get to interview my dad, which I'm so psyched on. It'll be super intimate and super open about conscious entrepreneurship, environmentally friendly entrepreneurship, And we'll talk all things blockchain and renewable energy and a lot of diverse topics. We'll just span the whole scope together. So enjoy this episode with Micah. And thank you so much for tuning in to the RhizoCast. And you can find all of her work in the show notes and all of the links to her tapestries, her paintings, a little bit more about her studio and her journey all in the show notes. So be sure to check those out. Welcome back to the RhizoCast this week, and I'm super excited to be sitting with Micah Callie, who was on the cover of Volume 1 Summer Solstice, some of her artwork that was photographed by Jenna, one of our other founders. And how are you feeling today, Micah? Excited to invite you on the RhizoCast. Um, thank you. I'm excited as well. I'm really grateful to be here. Yeah, we're grateful to have you. I think even before we had really dreamed up Rizo, me and Diggy and Jenna, I was like, we were chatting a bit back and forth when I was more on social, just about like the idea in general. And I was like, oh, let's give Micah the cover, you know, because that would be so cool because I just love your work. And as it's moved into rugs, I mean, that's even more amazing. So it was cool to be able to feature you in that way. Thank you. Yeah. When you, um, reached out about that, I was instantly like, yeah, (laughs) like it was, it was, it felt, um, in alignment. And then when we, um, were discussing which tapestry would be featured, um, I don't even really think at the time I was aware of the, the meaning of Rizo. And then once we put it all together, it was, it just, it felt, uh, kismet, so to speak, to for the meaning of the portal trine meditation tapestry and and Rizo as well. Mm-hmm. And portal trine is such a cool title, and also I just love the word kismet. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like so whimsical. Thank okay, <laughs> so I want to take it all the way back to really your childhood and when you started cultivating this connection to spirit, creativity, divine essence, which really comes through in your current work. And Mm -hmm. if you had any roots in your childhood that really brought you to that place in terms of parenting or spiritual upbringing, 
you know, any influences in that way from a young age? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm an East coaster. I was born in Charleston, South Carolina, and then spent some time back and forth. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was really young. So I'm then moved up to the Northeast, um, in New Jersey. And I, I say that because Charleston being very, it's just a beautiful city. And I was spent a lot of time in nature there. So being outdoors a lot and, um, being grounded and rooted and being barefoot a lot, I think is, as I would say is probably my deepest spiritual connection, um, in terms of any religious references. Um, you know, my, my father is, uh, a Christian and my, but my roots is I'm, I'm actually Ashkenazi through my mother's bloodline. So I did have a bat mitzvah. So for mm-hmm. me, in terms of religion and spirituality, um, I feel universally connected really. I don't, um, I don't really identify with any particular religion. Um, but I, you know, being able to be a part of both of those religions in that way and, you know, being rooted in that, I think has allowed me to realize, um, you know, universally and energetically that there's a lot of overlaps in all religions. And that's primarily my spiritual connection to religion. Mm -hmm. And you can definitely see and feel that in the symbols that come through in your paintings and tapestries. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to drop in a personal connection that we did meet once or twice. If we were just chatting before we hit record, like what, 17 years? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, like we're saying, it's hard to believe. I'm like, I still feel like I'm 20 years old some days. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, wait, we put a number on that. That's like, almost two decades ago. Like I what? know I had to count it on my fingers, not going to lie. When I was looking <laughs> at the dates. Um, yeah. So you were friends with Diggy in New York and that's yeah. really the connection. And that's how I stayed connected to you on social for all those years. Yeah. 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 Very cool. And how did you meet Diggy? Uh, Parsons. Uh, okay, we both, cool. yeah, we were both there at the same time. And um, I believe it was like also there was Molly Austin was a connection as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember Molly. Um, yeah. Comedian. Yeah. She's yeah, cool. brilliant. And she and I grew up in New Jersey as well together. Um, okay, cool. so we were kind of a trio also with Cleo Wade, which is just a funny throwback as well, um, at that time. And, um, yeah, I mean, Diggy's work immediately resonated. Photography was actually my first medium. And I always swore that I would never, you know, be a photographer ever again, unless it was with film. <laughs> and, um, I had, you know, in high school, I had my own dark room that I created. Awesome. And so, yeah, so I, I definitely, I think Diggy and I connected in that, um, way. And obviously her work with Mary and Mark was just like, I couldn't believe she, you know, was doing that at, at such a young age as well. Um, so just, I think from a creative perspective, Diggy, it was instant with her. It was just instant respect. And I just, I, I think we just, hung out as much as I could. <laughs> yeah, but, totally. Yeah. yeah. And then you also, I remember you always just having the coolest clothes and I know that you <laughs> study fashion, you know, is yeah. that still like a space for you? Or are you like, you know, moving away from that? Um, I mean, I love fashion and it's, it's, um, you know, in some ways I've definitely made a departure from the industry in the sense that I'm not designing collections anymore, but, um, you know, part of that is 
is a conscious choice. Um, when I was still in fashion, things were moving to China and I, you know, and I was, everything I had been doing at the time was made in New York. And I just Mm. saw this trend happening and was, you know, when you're in the heart of it and you know how things are made and, and the industry, you just, at some point I realized part of it wasn't really, um, my ethics weren't as aligned, but then also, um, I had kids and after my, in between my first and second, I was still in fashion and I just realized, uh, it, it just energetically didn't, wasn't aligning with how I wanted to live my life. Um, you know, I, it's really long hours. It's not really family oriented. And I spent a year about preg while I was pregnant. My only time with my firstborn daughter was basically waking up with her, rushing her out of the house and then rushing home as fast as I could to put her to bed. And, um, you know, I just had this moment with myself of like, you know, I had kids because I want to, I want to be a mom mm-hmm. and I wasn't raising my daughter for, you know, for that year and a half. Um, and so as soon as I had my second, I just, uh, just made the decision. I, I wasn't going to go back into fashion, um, in that capacity, but, um, you know, as a creative, you have, you develop like a process and a methodology. And I, I love, manufacturing. I love that process of iteration and fashion has definitely played into that. And, um, having that experience definitely informs how I function as an artist now. So, um, yeah, it's, it's very, in terms of process and, um, that's, I still utilize a lot of that, that I developed in my years in fashion. So, um, very cool. Yeah. 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 And when you mean like process of iteration, meaning like, okay, here's the idea, get it like down in physical form. Ooh, a little bit weird. Let me fix that. Let me edit that. Let me rearrange that. Can you just describe that process a little bit? Yeah. Um, in fashion, it's definitely more straightforward. Um, you know, and, and I guess how I utilize that process into how I, how I function now. Um, yeah, I, I still have a, uh, I guess, you know, a process of, of an idea and sketching it, you know, particularly to the rugs and whatnot and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, tweaking it here and there proportionally. But what I think I have incorporated much more into my process now is my, my intuition, Whereas in fashion, I wasn't really, you know, I'm having to care about trends and I'm having to care about fits. And there's all these like, yeah, Yeah. there's Mm -hmm. kind of these boxes you get put in. And, um, and now that that's, you know, I have my, I've been grateful to have built out my own studio here, um, in New Jersey, um, intuition has, has been a strong guiding force for me and in my whole process and flow. So, um, you know, I utilize again, that frameworking that I learned in fashion and, and other mediums that I've worked in. But, um, now I would, like I said, that intuition would be a stronger guiding force in, in my process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that intuition, did it start rising to the surface really when you were like, I'm not living the actual work-life balance as a creative that I want to live. And then really making those interchanges to, allow that work-life balance to be much more present. So you can be present as a mother and present as a creator. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I, there's a gap of time of when I left fashion and realizing I didn't want to participate um, in that industry anymore. Um, I, I would say it's about like a 
five-year gap um, where I moved out to LA and I started a drink company. And then mm. I think I had, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of things in, in between in that five-year gap, but um, so, but ultimately I did come to that where I realized, you know, there's, there's so much like hustle culture, especially when you're raising kids and you have, you know, it's not just you you're providing for, but you have to think about like, you know, all, you know, how to, how to feed them and think about college and all these things. So, um, and so it's interesting that it almost came later for me of really realizing that that having that work-life balance and a spiritual balance, um, and and into like bringing intuition into that was actually part of how I could sustain myself as an individual and as a role model for my children. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it seemed, you know, it almost seems silly to think that painting would be, you know, at, you know, be the guiding, um, uh, medium that I would be using to, to do all of that. But again, I, at that point in my life, I had such a strong background in, you know, graphic design and again, manufacturing that it's almost like if I didn't have all of that, I don't think I would have done it this way. So, um, I think I had more strength in, in, um, security with myself to know that, you know, I could, I could do this. And I, you know, I do also do freelance work and I have other clients that I work with, um, you know, to help with the ebb and flow. Uh, so. Yeah. And I think that's so important behind the scenes to say out loud, because I probably have 17 jobs (laughs) (laughs) that aren't all outward facing, you know, and sometimes in session or students will come to me and they'll be like, should I quit my full-time job to pursue this other job? And then I'm, I'm worried low key because I'm like, but then you will imprint that misaligned hustle into something that really doesn't have a shape yet. And so I think, you know, as an artist and as a creator, you're very creative with how you make money and how you put work into the world. And then also how you sustain right? Sometimes that can look so different in your outward facing life and your inner world. So it's nice to sort of hear you bring that to the surface so clearly. Yeah, I I agree. And I think transparency is really important for, especially for anyone starting out. You know, I try to remind myself of that, even though I feel like I'm, I'm always learning. And the more that I learn, I feel the less that I know. Um, I still have wisdom, you know, and (laughs) Um, it, I think again, having that transparency is important for people who feel like, you know, when they look at you and they're just looking at, you know, your Instagram or whatever, they, they almost project this life of yours that, you know, on some level is yours, of course, but like you said, it's like the iceberg, you know, it's like what's really happening is can be different. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I also love collaborating. So, you know, freelance is a form of collaboration for me Mm, that, um, great point. Yeah. So I, I actually nourish that. And, you know, it's nice is when, you, you know, you can dictate what feels al- aligned. And that also is something I, you know, have in the past, I, I would say I've been fully doing this for about six years and I've really tweaked that as well, where I've allowed myself to listen again into intuition of, you know, does that feel aligned? Is that really nourishing, you know, what I'm doing as a whole, because sometimes, you know, the element of, of money transaction can be, you know, really alluring, but then you realize it's not worth it on an energetic level. So, um, you know, that I've gone through many iterations of that as well. Um, and it, and it's tricky and it's hard, you know, to like 
think that something sounded great. And then, you know, you get into the process and you're like, no, 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 <laughs> you know, and how yeah. to set those boundaries. So I, and I, I, I have struggled with that from time mm-hmm. to time. Yeah. I think that is definitely, it's like hindsight's 2020 at the beginning. And then over time, you're like, okay, my body feels more sensitive. You know, I can really read this person's energy. I can really understand what they're asking of me right out of the gate. If I get further down this road, they're going to be asking a shit ton more that I can tell that they're not fully putting out on the table just yet. Right. Like just much more of a body sensitivity over time. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that's difficult. You know, I I sometimes have to check things with my husband. Like, do you think this is a good idea? Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, obviously I I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) totally. (laughs) Good to have a, um, somebody to be your mirror or your soundboard. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then when we were sort of prepping and chatting for this conversation, you know, you were talking a little bit about being a digital creator and then not really wanting to fully exercise the excitement you had around painting and like feeling like you really needed to stay in the digital space. And what was that process like deciding like, mm, no, I'm going for it. I'm going to, I'm going to move into the physical space. There's so much pressure for artists to be creating things digitally right mm-hmm. now. There was in the last five years and it only seems like it's getting more intense with NFTs and all of that future. So I'd love to just sort of hear what that walking to the edge of the plank and saying, no, I really want to do what lights my soul on fire. Yeah. Um, I definitely like, don't have, uh, anything necessarily negative to say about NFTs. And I, I think if people want to explore it, you know, totally come into it as, as you see fit, you know, I've definitely keep getting pulled into it, um, to some degree, but I think for me, when I, I've had open studio, I've opened studios about once or twice a year Mm, when people it's an awesome, it's super exciting. I actually, uh, my studio is at a place called the manufacturer's village. It's the original Johnson and Johnson factory. It used to be Seabury and Johnson. um, And it was built in the 1800s. And so it's this super crazy, weird building. I literally have three keys. I have to go up, go into (laughs) one building, go up two flights of stairs, go for a bridge and go into like two doorways. It's, it's really, it's cool. Um, Mm -hmm. in COVID it was awesome. Um, so (laughs) when I've done open studios, you know, my space that I've curated is, you know, I often refer to it as my sanctuary and it's, it's funny when people have come in and again, it's his open studios. Like people know my name is on a map, you know, and you actually like literally need a map to navigate this place. And, um, people will come in the doorway and they have, they, I would say maybe one out of every three people act, they actually ask permission to come in because they're like, this is seems like a, yeah. And so I'm not necessarily aware that that's what I'm creating, but I, I leave my shoes at the door. I, I have a whole process of how I, my studio functions for me. And, um, and so when I see and experience people reacting that way, and I've had people cry seeing my artwork, I've had people um, just have very emotional, visceral reactions um, in, in the space. And to me, that's really what motivates me is that, um, you know, I, I often say that I'm painting energetic frequencies and people feel it when they come in. So to me, that's, um, 
that's it, seeing something in, in real time happening in a symbiotic uh, level is that's what really this is all about. Um, mm -hmm. So I can't get that with an NFT. <laughs> I can't, you know, like I, somebody can like it, you know, it can be really cool. And, you know, digital art is, is fun, you know, but, uh, and I, and I think it can evoke emotion, not taking that totally out of it, but when you're in a space and you have, you know, cause I'm also very texture oriented. I use a lot of, I use yeah. the, the mattest mats paints and I use a lot of, you know, yeah, actually I had a hard time framing that little print you sent me. I was like, huh. It needs to float. Yeah. <laughs> Get like flat. You know, it took me, no, no, it's, it was awesome. It took me like a while to find like a deep sort of shadow boxy frame so that it yeah. could like float, you know? Well, thank you. Thank you for spending the time. I, I should have guided you a little bit more about it. <laughs> like forewarned you. Um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I love hearing that and knowing that because I do think on a deep emotional level, you know, it's why we create, it's why we sort of invite people into our, the private depths of what we see the world through, you know, is to actually like move them deeply on a soul and heart level. Yeah. Experiencing it. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So that's like a perfect segue really into the symbols that you create and why they're so impactful on a soul level. And, you know, I think this is something that's important to me and why I've just sort of watched your Instagram for a while and looked at your art is, you know, I studied Buddhist and Hindu art and they were my most favorite classes for sure. <laughs> you know, always there early in the front row, like the annoying girl raising her hand every single question. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but it's just stuck with me for so long to, you know, really look into an image and find some symbolism that resonates on an existential level. Mm -hmm. And so what's the process like for you creating those symbols and then putting them into different forms? Like it's painting and then it's a tapestry and then it's a rug, right? Mm -hmm. So it has a many different forms that that spiritual symbol travels through. What does that look like for you? Yeah. Um, so I'll start first by, I guess, breaking down the symbols, how they came to be. Um, I say they, they function like um, mantra or like a totem. Um, the, I, I'm very fascinated with the science of the brain and neural pathways and how they can be the key to change and, and what we want to manifest. So um, that's really how they started for me personally. <clears throat> was that by painting them, I could surround myself with essentially these frequencies or these messages to help me stay in the frequency that I, I want to be in. So for instance, um, you know, setting boundaries, like we talked about earlier has mm -hmm. been something I've, I, I've worked on and I continue to work on. And so I created one called the peace angel, which it's, <clears throat> excuse me, are, the arms are stretched out and it's in kind of this like stance that's very grounded and very stable, but it's essentially the, the, the peace angel is said, making it known that this boundary is, is set. Um, and then there's a, always usually a plus sign at the top of the head, um, of thinking positively. So, um, yeah, surrounding myself with that messaging, it's, it's, it's funny because oftentimes I'll be in, you know, personal moment where I'm like, Oh, I didn't 
I'm not like setting my boundary. And then it's like right there on the wall, you know, like staring yeah. at me and I'm like, yep, that's, that's why you're there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the other thing I like to be transparent about is I, what I'm painting and what I'm discussing. It's not like I've mastered any of these lessons. It's really a work in progress for me and it's a journey. So, mm-hmm. um, so once I started painting them, um, again, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I've said that they function like energetic frequencies. And I say that because people would inherently, they'd come into my space and they, it's like, they knew the meaning or they could feel the meaning, but they always wanted to know what it was really about. And so I started kind of asking the question back, like, what do you, you know, what do you feel from it? What do you get from it? And there's usually an overlap of alignment in terms of what my intention was for it. And so, um, I started to realize how much of a tool that they could be for, for others as well. And that's when I just, it was a motivation for me to keep creating and to keep sharing because, um, you know, I, I feel that we're all on a healing journey and we're all trying to, um, you know, transcend our, our traumas and our pains and find ways to be productive with it. And, um, you know, as many tools that we can all have to, to, you know, navigate all of that, um, the better. So, um, so yeah, that's, they're, they're really meant to be a tool. Um, and then, uh, in terms of how, uh, the symbols function in, you know, with the tapestries and the rugs, uh, I, I often say that this is like totally shows my fashion roots. I say that my, my paintings are like my couture <laughs> and that because they're these like one of a kind, you know, they'll never, yeah. I, I can't create two of them. And that the uh, rugs and the tapestries are like my ready to wear, which is still you know very special. And they're still one of a kind. And it's a true collaboration with these weavers. Each of them takes about a month to make. So this isn't, you know, they mm. take about the same time as a painting would make. Um, so the, the process involved with that, uh, incorporates my background in, in graphic design where, um, typically all of the, the designs that you see in rugs and tapestries start from a painting. And then, um, I, I digitize, I just take high res photos of them. And mm-hmm. cause I, I start with black and white and usually add color. So I take high res photos of the initial symbol and then I digitize it. I vectorize everything. And then that way I can manipulate the symbols to fit within, you know, if I'm doing like a five by seven or nine by 12. And it also, you know, I'm, and that's really where I'm super grateful to have the digital background or graphic design background, because, you know, just how I mock up colors and how I move it around, it really allows me to push through that phase um, in, a, in a much faster um, than it would if I was having to, you know, hand paint all of the, you know, potential colorways mm. in, in dimensions. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, and then they get sent uh, digitally to basically through phones and like flip phones, (laughs) they all have to be like screenshot, um, and sent to Morocco. And they're usually just going off of like, you know, they look at an image on a flip phone basically. And that's what they, uh, that's what they're using to, to start weaving from. Wow. That's pretty incredible. So I think this is always such a interesting question too, is like, how did you find that production loop? What were the ethics behind it? 
And how do you sort of keep up with that management? Because that takes a different side of the brain than it does to actually sit down and paint the spiritual symbol that evokes a certain frequency. And sort of how do you, uh, I hate the words divide and conquer, so yeah. I won't say that, <laughs> but how do you allow both of those mind states to be present? And then how do you see them shift when you have to sort of step into managing the production loop? Yeah. I mean, going back to neural pathways and background in fashion, you know, that's, I can do a tech pack in my sleep, you know, like, I, <laughs> and these are like way easier than a garment in so, you know, on, on many levels, um, you know, it's spiritually way more, um, satisfying, but it's, um, from a technical perspective, way easier, um, in that regard. And there's just so much more flow and, and, and this is what I love to do. So, um, for me, it's just, it's part of the process. And again, because it's, uh, something I've just done for so many years, I don't really see it as a hurdle. Um, I, I honestly have, I'm honestly like my, I would say my biggest roadblock is really talking about what I do mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and like letting people know, because I, I like people to kind of come into it on their own, but I also realize now, you know, that I've been selling these rugs that people need a little bit of help to get there. You know, like they're afraid to ask the questions or the wrong questions. So that's one of the roadblocks I'm more working on is just let, you know, kind of just giving them the whole spiel, you know, without, mm-hmm. I just like, I don't want to be like salesy, but going oh, back- I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's difficult. Yeah. 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 I would never introduce myself when I would be in a new studio or in a new country. I'd just be like, all right, let's get started in Sukhasana. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, who are you? Why are you here? What are you, what are you doing? You know, exactly. Distilling something that's so, so many layers for the self is it's difficult and it probably sounds different every single time. (laughs) It's true. And that what you just said deeply resonates, you know, I'm just like, I, I want to also, you know, respect where people are coming from. And, but I, I inherently people are there usually when I'm, you know, with them in a space and they're interested, it's like, I should just give them the, the whole breakdown and save mm-hmm. them the question. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like you were asking something else about the process with the rugs. Yeah. I think that, you know, the reason that I asked the question in general is that I think it's difficult for sometimes you know, solo artists to say like, okay, like I'm doing this beautiful work on my own, but how do I turn it into something that would be beautiful in someone's home or, you know, a big part of their daily habits or, you know, what's the step to actually take it from something in your notebook to something that's actually affecting the way someone thinks, feels, and lives? Yes. Okay. So for me, functionality I, I, even in fashion, I designed military and workwear inspired clothes. Like everything had a pocket, every dress had a pocket. Like, I think that all things should have a functionality to them, um, for their, you know, in terms of like purpose. And so even with the art, you know, for me, it's like something I almost justify about having on the wall is that it's, it's functional to some degree as, you know, functioning Mm -hmm. as a mantra or totem. And so, you know, after getting a lot of that feedback of people, you know, you really utilizing them, um, you know, putting them above their doorways and, and putting them in spaces that they would see every day. I realized, um, with the tapestries and the rugs, you know, I, I call, I purposely use the word tapestry and not just rug because, um, with this specific style, the, the Berbers that are in the Atlas mountains, um, they, 
originally designed their rugs to be multifunctional. So they have a summer side and they have a winter side. So they're meant mm, to be used on both sides. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're as beautiful as they are on the summer side and as in the winter side. And I, I actually flip some of mine sometimes just because I, I love, I call it the knotted side. It's it, the whole rug is knotted. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can just see the, the mechanics of every single knot on, on the summer side, which typically most people just keep it on the hairy side, which is considered the winter side. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then they also in, in the Atlas, they will, um, layer the rugs to sleep on. So they'll, you know, do like three or four and they're really plush and very cozy, even just one layer deep. Um, and then in the winter months, it obviously gets pretty cold in the mountains. They also use them to put on top of themselves, um, you know, just to, for added warmth. And yeah. when they've become super worn, um, the Berbers have always woven their own symbolism in that's the designs that you've seen coming out of Morocco predominantly are, are different tribes of Berbers that weave their symbol in symbolism into uh, the rug. So they also will put them on their walls as well to um, just indicate, you know, history and again, their own, their own tribal symbolism. So, um, so that was really what made me most excited to work with the weavers in Morocco specifically. Um, you know, I, I guess I could have gone anywhere to weave rugs, but I, I felt very deeply connected to the functionality of it. And, um, you know, one of the feedback notes that I've gotten from a few clients is that they, they choose to, they want my rugs in their home because it does have meaning. And I do uh, custom symbols for people all the time because everything really is custom. They're all one of a kind mm-hmm. that it's, it's very doable for me to create a symbol um, story for, for any family or, or anyone specifically. So that, yeah, you're having this beautiful functional, you know, rug that's, you know, caring for and covering your floor and adding warmth and comfort, but it's also reminding you of, you know, something that, um, you know, maybe you want to bring into your life or you, you know, you, you want to remember or, you know, whatnot. So uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's really, beautiful. thank you. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's super beautiful. And it's cool to know that you have access to do that, you know, individually, because I think there's so much more emotional connection. And then, you know, going back to neural networks of, okay, I'm, you know, energetically binding this family behind this mission, this frequency, this value set, right? And they're being reminded of it on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's hugely motivating for me. Um, because again, my process is so intuitive that it's nice to know that it can go beyond a canvas and it can go beyond um, just even the floor. It can be what, you know, an energy that fills the room or, or brings people together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how old are your children now? So my older, um, Avinashi, she will be 12 on August 1st. And then obviously yeah. such a pretty name. Thank you. <laughs> Um, yeah, she's, uh, she's, she's wonderful. She's lovely. Um, they both are, but I'm biased. <laughs> um, and then, uh, nine and a half is J is Jay Shree. She, um, she's in November. Okay. So two girls. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember you mentioning to me that obviously you can really see sort of her artistic spark growing and, and you're fueling that. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and what is that? 
process look like as a mother when you're like, oh, okay, like here she goes, like exploring her own imagination and the shape of that imagination? You know, how do you cultivate that through the process of motherhood? Yeah, I mean, creativity for me is is a, such a it's like a form of uh, therapy in a way at times. So um, I've definitely utilized it in, in hard moments and in celebratory moments um, for myself and, you know, leading by example, just inherently doing what I do and having a studio and bringing the, the girls into the studio and giving them canvases to paint on. Um, you know, it, it's kind of ingrained in the culture of our family. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Avi in particular, she, you know, it's helpful to hear my mom and my sister tell me like, she's just like you were like, you know, I find her on the <laughs> toilet, literally drawing on toilet paper. If there's not a notebook in her hand, I mean, it's just, you know, even her math teachers, like she's really good at math, but she's also, you know, if you look at like her margins, it's all drawings. It's like more drawings than it is like, you know, notes on fractions and, you know, it's, so it's, it's part of who she is. It's not even something I could even intercept if I wanted to. Um, so I'm actually very grateful that I get to help nourish that because it's, um, you know, I think for me too, it's, it's cool to see her as an artist with similar motivations, but with her personality and her drive, um, she's so clear and she's so confident and she's very good at setting boundaries. Um, you know, it's, it'll be, what I'm excited for is to see how she, how she uses it for herself and how, you know, how she navigates her life as she goes into her career. Um, she's already done some impressive moves in my opinion of, she changed her whole track of school from where she's supposed to be going. Cause there's, there's three elementary, uh, sorry, five elementary schools and three middle schools. And she chose to go to a different middle school because it's a more creative, um, focused, they have like different art programs. And so she already made a decision to break away from her friend group, you know, that she would be going with to uh, pursue what she knew would nourish her um, on a creative level. And that, that was really cool to see her do at, you know, 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, especially at that time, sort of in your psychic development, sometimes external feedback is really motivating so many of your choices and really how you feel about yourself internally. Right. So to see a totally different mental pivot for her of, no, my friends are cool, but like my art might be cooler. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She did say she she was, it was, I was like such respect for her. Like I literally, I think I like totally did like a power move when I like left her room that night. Cause we were, we chat, like our favorite time to chat is at night when she doesn't want to go to bed, but she's opening up about everything. So I'm always, I always like leave this like, you know, 20 minute like time period where like she's supposed to go to bed, but really I like 20 (laughs) minutes. And so that night she was like, you know, talking me through it. And she's like, you know, I really want to go there, but you know, I'm debating about my friends. She's like, you know, I think I'm going to give it a week. I'm really going to think about it for about a week. And then I'll come to you with my final decision. And I'm like, really, yeah, like that's a great (laughs) way of working, you know, like she's going to sit on it, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. So I, it, it's fun to be able to raise kids and, and be able to use uh, creativity as, as part of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then maybe just last note in terms of your self nourishment and just all the different energetic pathways you have open, you know, how, 
as you moved out of hustle culture and you really started working with mediums that nourish you, you know, how have you seen the way that you parent change, the way that you eat change and your art change and just your self-image change? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think part of hustle culture I think of is just like, just you're moving really fast and everything's thrown at you and you're almost not even making conscious decisions. And once you shift out of something where you're like, I have all the time that I want to make, you know, it's, you're in control of everything. And once you realize you're in control of all the decisions you're making and even, you know, the, the actions that come as a result of those decisions, um, where you start to really own everything, uh, it's really real and it's really raw. And it, you know, I definitely went through a transition period of a lot of being really uncomfortable and a lot of fear and, you know, projected into that. And I think that was the transition into that was, was probably the hardest part. Um, Mm -hmm. and, but once you start to like, you know, again, pave that neural pathway and like, you know, like, you know, cut through that, that path, you know, um, it starts to feel really worth it. And it starts to feel really good when you're really in tune with yourself and you're able to honor your feelings and honor the energy. Um, you know, and you, again, when you shift from something where you're just kind of almost in, you're almost waking up every day, somewhat uncomfortable. And then when you realize, you know, you're waking up more comfortable (laughs) and that you kind of teeter out of it. You kind of go back to like tendencies or patterns and you're like, wait, I'm doing that thing that makes me feel super uncomfortable again. And you're like, but I'm also choosing that. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like kind of like steering the boat kind of in the direction and, um, into that. And then it just gets easier and easier, you know, speaking of iterations again, you know, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And and the more it actually it's sustainable. Um, so uh, as a mom, it's allowed me to be more present. It's giving me that time and space. Um, you know, I get to, again, when they come to the studio, it's super nourishing for all of us to be able to share that space and share that time together. Um, and, and also it's an honor for me to be able to say that I do what I love and that, um, you know, I get to be able to offer tools to people to help, um, you know, in their healing journey is, is super motivating as well. So yeah, I, I feel I'm definitely a better mom. Um, I'm a more conscious mother, uh, and, and also a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it allows me to realize, you know, I can connect better to people and situations when you're just more present with, you know, yourself first. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I'm just sort of bringing to the surface that circle of sustainability really is allowing that presence and you know that's cool to watch from afar thanks yeah okay and lastly to wrap up here when's the next trip to morocco and when is your next collection dropping yes we will be heading to morocco um this august where we are going to be meeting with the current weavers which i'm really excited about and um also going to be able to, um, pick up the latest collection. So not sure if all the whole collection will be ready yet, but we'll definitely be coming back by the end of August and showing all the new designs. We've got a lot of new, um, colors and, um, form coming in. So excited to share. 
<laughs> yeah. Sounds amazing. I can't wait to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, 16 years later, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> It'll be cool to see what happens in the next. <laughs> oh, I don't even know. Don't even tell me. Don't. <laughs> it's gonna be good. It only gets better, right? I know. I just, you know, I'm never one of those people that's like, "What's coming next?" Or, you know, I've never done a past life regression or anything like that. I'm always like, just keep it coming and keep it spicy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that though. It's a good yeah. approach. You're in the present. I like. (laughs) Okay, well, I appreciate the time and love and attention, and then also your spiritual frequency behind your work. And we loved featuring you on Volume One of Rizo, and I'm sure we'll talk in the near future. Thanks for being on the Rizo Cast. Thank you. It's been an honor, Sue. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Rizo Cast. If you love this episode, please download, subscribe, share it and pass it along to a friend. Please subscribe to our Rizo Magazine subscription at www.rizomagazine.com. You can find Sue Hunt's work, your host, at www.suehunt.com. We love bringing you these in-depth conversations. Please remember the suggestions of our guests and hosts are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as actionable advice. This podcast is a resource for general information, education, and artistic inspiration. Rizo is not liable for your decisions to implement information from this podcast.